Well, good morning. Do you guys have a Merry Christmas? Well, Merry Christmas. I, I think it's still the Christmas season. I don't like to let it go so quickly. But uh, I hope you're staying warm. How's that working for you? All right, good. Um, you know, my family and I just returned from Southern California uh, last week. Uh, we went out there. Uh, I graduated from Biola University. And uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, had to go out there to make it official and walk across the stage. And so we all went out there, and I think we actually have a couple pictures, um, if you want to show them. But uh, for those of you that don't know, my uh, master's degree is in apologetics, and it, kind of with a focus on philosophy and logic and theology. And uh, yeah, what a punk kid, huh? Uh, <laughs> yeah, we had some fun. But, um, you know, speaking of sunny Southern California. Pastor Dave is out there right now, so, you know, feel bad for him missing this weather. But actually, you know, when we were out there, it was really cold. Most of the time last week in California, I was wearing a a beanie and a hoodie. My wife actually was wearing a a coat, I think, half the time we were out there. So it was really colder than normal as far as L.A. goes. Um, In fact, we went to Huntington Beach, and I guess there's around 15 million people in the area down there, and uh, we went to the beach, and who knows how many tourists are there, we were the only ones there on Huntington Beach, we had the beach to ourselves, because it was so cold, nobody else was dumb enough to go out there that day, but man, we were there, we had to take advantage of it, so we went, and and Ethan loved it, even though he was wearing his his hoodie, his sweatshirt, he he was still running in the surf and had a good time, but you know, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you as a church body um, for allowing me a time and a place to, to study and to grow in my walk, and really for making me go in the first place. A few years ago, um, the church leadership here was like, Tim, uh, you need to go get a master's degree uh, in some, from some Bible college. And I'm like, oh, no, thank you. I mean, when I stepped off uh, the UNK college campus when I graduated uh, from there, I, I said, never again. I, I, I didn't want to do any more homework. I was tired of that. Never wanted to study anymore. I, you know, I was fine just studying my Bible, nothing else. No, you know, well, I got here and God had some other ideas and worked through the leadership here and said, Tim, you're going, basically. And so I kind of resisted a bit, but eventually I went and I just fell in love um, with the process of studying God and his nature and his word and just growing uh, closer to him in the process. And I just, you know, I, I pray, I could care less about the piece of paper that say I, gra- I graduated. What I loved was the process of growing closer to God. And I just pray that um, that, that process that I went through um, overflows onto this body. And so I, everything that I've gone through, I want to take you guys with me and just be a positive impact on this church body. I'm just really excited for what God's doing. And, and I've been... Uh, thinking about Romans 12, 2 a lot lately. In fact, I made it the, the youth group official verse. Paul says this, uh, that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Well, I can promise you that that's happened in my life. I can promise that my mind has been renewed and that my life, my ministry, and just my walk with Christ in general has been completely transformed. And, uh, you know, I'm not the same person you guys hired way back in 2006 um, the, the things that, at least a lot of the things that I thought were important back then, well, they seem to have grown strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace, if you know what I mean. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, uh, the guy you hired back then, I mean, he was a 
good Christian, love the Lord, he's a good pastor, but I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm enjoying this sanctification process that we're all on. We're, if you think about it, we're all experiencing an eternal evolution of sorts. As we continue to grow and become more like Christ, not just in this life, but in eternity, if you think about it. And I'm going to talk about eternity more soon. But I'll tell you that really the only things that matter to me now is knowing God and making him known. Uh, that's what I think about when I fall asleep. And that's the first thing that I think about when I wake up is, how can I do this? Um, how can I get closer to God? How can I tell more people about the truth of, of the gospel? And in fact, last month I had surgery uh, because I was doing some CrossFit, doing some Olympic lifting, and uh, got a little hernia. Um, and uh, so I went to go get some surgery on it. I'm about ready to be back at the gym pretty soon, Kyle. Just want to let you know that. Give me another week or two. Um, but uh, he's my CrossFit coach, you know. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I, got, I got this fixed. And as I was coming out of uh, surgery, and my wife was trying to wake me up in the post-op room, and uh, she said, while I was still sleeping, I started talking in my sleep about how I can prove the existence of God with logic alone. So not only do I think about it as I'm going to sleep and as I'm waking up, but apparently I think about it while I'm sleeping. So um, my life has really been changed. Here's my point. Knowing God and making him known is all that really matters to me right now. And, and that actually allows me to really enjoy the good things of this world the way they're supposed to be enjoyed, like Nebraska football. Most of the time. And at least some of the time. I remember the days when we could enjoy it all the time, but you know. Um, we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I enjoy other things like music and good movies like Star Wars. You know, I love Star Wars. Uh, what, I enjoy working out, as I said, but now I, I don't, these things aren't, I don't worship them. I, I think if you would have asked me a few years ago, I would have, of course, told you that I don't worship anything other than God, but sometimes maybe. I might have tricked you by the way I lived. Um, <laughs> that is to say that those things maybe seem too important to me. Um, I think I've got an eternal perspective. Things seem to have been, become more clear for me. I, I'm seeing things with an eternal perspective these days. Um, again, the things of eternal significance now eclipse things that don't objectively matter. That is to say, things of eternal significance eclipse things that don't really matter in the long run, considering eternity. So let's talk about eternity and eternal significance. When you think about eternity, I, I think this is what is really important when you, when you think about it. Most people have a hard time contemplating things like eternity. In fact, Pastor Dave has given a couple sermons recently on the topic of God, time, and eternity. And you know, actually, I had an entire class at Biola uh, taught by Dr. William Lane Craig dedicated to the, to the topic God, time, and eternity. The whole class was based on that. And in fact, I wrote a 61-page master's thesis on, uh, where I spent a significant portion of that thesis talking about how God relates to time and eternity. Now, I could talk about this for an entire sermon. I'm not going to do that for you right now. In fact, I probably could spend a year talking about this, but in a nutshell, here's how we can describe it. God is timeless without creation, simultaneous with God's creative decree, right? Let there be, right? Simultaneous with his creative decree, 
God is eternally in time. Eternally. Now, I know that's kind of hard to understand. You can ask me questions about it if you'd like. But the difference between humans and God is that humans are eternal beings with beginnings. Right? We're eternal beings. You are going to live for eternity. It just depends on where you're going to spend eternity. Right? Heaven or hell. Okay? We're eternal beings with beginnings. Mine was June 13th, 1973. Mark that down if you want to buy me a present. Just kidding. Don't do that. Okay. But, yeah, I'm an eternal being with the beginning, June 13th, 1973. God is an eternal being with no beginning. So let that sink in. And he even created time itself. Okay. Now, the reason I say that is because humans relate to time a little bit differently than God does. Actually, a lot differently than God does. And the Bible makes this clear in both the Old and the New Testaments. 2 Peter 3.8 says this, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Old Testament makes it clear also. Psalm 90 verse 4 says, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. So God relates to, to time differently than we do. In fact, I relate to time differently now. I'm 41 years old now, if you did the math, right? 41 years old now, and I relate to time differently than I did just a few years ago. Differently than I did. I mean, I remember being a little kid thinking, time moves so slowly. Well, I can tell you now, at 41 years old, I can't believe how fast it's going. I can't imagine what it's going to be like when I'm 61. How fast is time going to be going then? I mean, it's kind of scary. Time just seems to go faster and faster. Can any of you relate? Is that just me? Or can you relate? Does time speed up as you get older? Okay, I'm glad I'm not some anomaly up here. All right. The years fly by faster and faster, and sometimes I look back at many of those years that sped by, and I feel like I kind of wasted those years. Has anybody here ever felt like you've wasted time or wasted even years of your life? Have you Anybody? Anybody else relate to that, or is it just me? Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not alone. You see, we, we're good at wasting time, aren't we? Wasted time. We don't have a lot of time to waste on this planet, if you think about it. Yet we waste time like it's going out of style. We waste years, don't we? Most people waste their entire lives. But we waste years. And, well, I guess that's why they invented New Year's resolutions, <laughs> Because we can go ahead and go ahead and waste a year, but then make a New Year's resolution to make a difference, to do something of importance with your life and in the world. You can, make, you can waste some time, but then just hit the reset button, make a New Year's resolution, and everything's going to be good, right? We make resolutions because we realize that we waste times, or that we waste time, we waste years. So how many of you have ever made a New Year's resolution before? Anybody? Anybody making them this year? Not as many hands are going up. Well, I say that we should. I want to talk about that um, a little bit. You know, as I said earlier, I love to work out. love to try to stay healthy. But it amazes me how packed out uh, gyms become uh, in January, right? <laughs> they, they get packed out. They get really crowded. And sometimes I feel like, wow, there's not even enough room 
for me to get a workout in sometimes, you know, because everybody is there. Well, why? Because they made New Year's resolutions to try to get in shape. Well, you just have to remind, you know, sometimes I'm like, well, I can't even work out so crowded, but just remind myself that in February, everything's going to be back to normal, right? (laughs) Well, why? Because people make New Year's resolutions that they don't keep. Well, why is that? They don't keep them long term. Well, I think there's several reasons. Uh, Here's a couple that I thought of. One, they're usually hard to commit to. Maybe somebody will, uh, many times will make a resolution that's just very outlandish and just don't have a chance to do it. And we realize, well, there's no way I can keep that long term, so you just quit. Another is, I think many times we realize that they are objectively meaningless when considering eternity. That is to say that they don't really matter most of the time. And I think that we realize this subconsciously, even if we don't really understand it. Now, that's not to say that there is no value in setting a New Year's resolution, like committing to getting into good physical shape. I think you should. I think it's important. Um, I, I used to want to be Arnold Schwarzenegger when I was a little kid, you know, every... You know, you'd look at him and look so big and strong, and, and I just wanted to be just like him. And then it hit me one day that no matter how hard I tried, I was never going to look like Arnold. And that was kind of sad for me, but then I remember praying about it when I was a little kid. And I just felt like God said, hey, Tim, do the best with what you got. Do the best with what you got. That, that, gives me, that brings glory to me, and you're, you're going to uh, get some benefits from it. All right, so I, I've committed my life to that, or part of my life to that here, here on this earth. But listen to what Paul says. Paul even agrees that there's some benefit with physical fitness. Listen, he says in 1 Timothy 4.8, he says, For physical training is of some value. He admits it. It's of some worth. It's of some value. But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life yet to come, eternity. That's what he's talking about there. So he's saying, hey, godliness is the most important thing you can commit to. It's got value now in the present and for eternity. So I think what Paul's saying is there is limited value in many things, like physical fitness. They're good. However, it's not objectively important when you consider eternity. Well, why is that? At least it's not as important as some other things, anyway. I think Paul realized that no matter how physically fit he became, his body will eventually fail. It will eventually fall apart. It will eventually stop working. It will eventually die. And we all meet the same fate, at least physically speaking. However, Paul wanted us to consider what really matters, not just now in the present moment, but for all eternity. And that's this. I think Paul would say this. What really matters is to know God and to love God and to be loved by him and to enjoy a personal love relationship with him. A marriage, if you will. That's why uh, the Bible calls Christians, the church, the bride of Christ, I believe that's the objective purpose of life, of your life, to know, love, and enjoy God. I mean, consider what Jesus, consider Jesus' own words here. The greatest commandment, he was asked this in Matthew 22, 36 through 38. He was asked, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. You see, basically, I think Jesus is saying here that the number one commandment, and hence the reason, the purpose of your life, the reason why God created you, this is the number one commandment. Did you, get, did you catch that? Okay. This, according to Jesus, is to love God with every fiber of your being, with every aspect of your existence. Love God. That's why you exist. And to do anything else is to waste your life. You see, if we keep that first commandment, if we love God with every aspect of our existence and every fiber of our being, if you do that right, well, everything else will fall into place perfectly. Other things, like the second commandment, loving your neighbor as yourself, will happen. Uh, Not to mention loving your enemy. It will happen. You see, we will have a positive impact on this world right now when we live with a proper view of eternity. So when considering New Year's resolutions, perhaps we should keep in mind what Jesus said is the most important thing, to love God. That's why you were created. And not only what you are supposed to do, but if you do it, and maybe I bet most of you here, many of you can relate to this, if you do that, it is the best experience you can ever have. Being in this love relationship with God and experiencing Him. And there's nothing better, nothing. Do you know what I'm talking about, anybody? Now, somebody might disagree. Well, I just have to say, well, guess you haven't experienced um, what I'm talking about here. And you can keep, keep striving to know Him more and to get closer to Him. You will, if that's your desire. Now, I, I said you can disagree, but you'd be wrong. You'd be objectively wrong. All right, now I've used this word objective and objectively a few times in this sermon. So may, maybe I better make it clear. Uh, Scuba Steve um, is what we call him. Steve Morris in the back. He's our tech guy. Uh, he, he started out, he was a, in high school when I started out here in 2006. And he, he helped me in the, in the tech department with the youth group. Well, he started volunteering, uh, doing all his tech stuff, uh, with the church, and he put in more volunteer hours here at the church than most people put in just work hours and anywhere else. And that eventually led to him having a job here. And now I'm happy but sad at the same time. This has actually led to him taking a, another role in Omaha uh, at a church there. Uh, Steve, I just want to thank you for all the work that you've done for the kingdom here at this church and for all the work you're going to do in the kingdom um, wherever you're at, and I want to thank you for your friendship and just for uh, everything you've got. Can we thank Steve for that? Steve, you've always got a family here at Carnegie Free. I hope you know that. Um, we're going to miss you. But I bring up Steve because he's heard hundreds of my sermons over the years, uh, to, uh, with the youth group especially, and he knows the key phrases and words that I use almost every sermon, and objective gets used probably more than anything else. 
In fact, I think he's playing Tim Stratton bingo right now. I've heard that there's a few of you out there that are playing Tim Stratton bingo right now. So if anybody stands up and yells bingo in the middle of the service, you know what's going on. But, because uh, he knows everything that I like to say. And this is one of them, objective. And I want to talk about the difference between objective truth and subjective truth. And this is important. So I want you to understand this. Um, truth. It's what we at Carney E. Free are committed to. In fact, if you walk out of the worship center, you're going to see some banners hanging up out there. And the first one is truth. It is what we are committed to. Now, truth is simply a statement or a proposition that corresponds to reality. That's what truth means. If anybody asks you, what is truth? And even Pilate asked Jesus that very same question. What is truth? You can say, oh, it's simply a statement that corresponds to reality. All right, so um, it's not that big a deal. But there's different kinds of truth. And I just want to talk about this. Uh, the difference between subjective truth and objective truth. I just got to say also, Jesus said, right before Pilate asked him that question, Jesus said that the very reason that he came into the world, the very reason that he was born, was to testify to what? The truth. So truth must be pretty important if God created the universe and entered into it to communicate the truth to us. And so that's why we're committed to truth as well. Now, knowing truth, for example, helps us make right moral choices. But not all decisions in life deal with morality. After all, I mean, if I... What should we do tonight? Should we go to the movies or go bowling? That's not usually a moral choice. Well, I guess it could depend on what movie you're talking about going to. But usually things like that aren't moral choices. Or uh, should I have chocolate or vanilla ice cream? Not really a moral choice. Um, Should I wear my red shirt or my black shirt? These aren't moral choices. Um, These are dependent on your opinion, on your personal relative uh, preferences, I guess. And the the way one answers these questions would be considered a subjective truth. So for me, how many of you have a favorite flavor of ice cream? Raise your hand if if you can think of your favorite flavor right off the bat. Okay. For me, my favorite flavor since I was a little kid has uh, been cookies and cream ice cream. Okay. Uh, I love those little chunks of Oreos mixed in with them. Um, So when I say cookies and cream ice cream is the best flavor of ice cream in the world... Well, that's true for me. But how many of you disagree with me? Raise your hand if you disagree. Right? Most of you. How many of you agree with me? All right, good. We'll start a cookies and cream fan club. Okay. Uh, But, uh, see, we're free to disagree on these things because it's not an objective truth. This is something that's true according to your opinion. A statement that is a personal preference but still true is a subjective truth. Truth, But moral choices are different. When it comes to morality, choices are not subjective. Moral choices are not like choosing your favorite ice cream flavor. Uh, Josh McDowell's son, uh, Sean McDowell, was one of my professors, and he said this. He said, moral choices aren't like ice cream. They're more like insulin. Insulin. Ice cream and insulin. I'll explain um, when Ethan was, my son Ethan was four years old, he was diagnosed with diabetes. And Tia and I, we basically, for a few months, forgot about everything else and focused, laser focused on learning about diabetes so that we could take care of our son. And 
It's been a while uh, since I've, I've studied this, but uh, if I remember correctly, I learned that insulin controls diabetes. Now, I, I just wanted to say a side note here. Ethan used to have diabetes. He used to. That's right. <laughs> um, but back on track here. Uh, it's been several years, but for months, that's all we thought about. And for months, you know, I felt so bad, I was poke his fingers three times a day. And the little guy didn't even know why I was doing, why I was torturing him, you know. It just broke my heart. I'm very thankful I don't have to do that anymore. But for months, that, that's all we thought about. And I learned that insulin controls diabetes. Now, it doesn't matter if I think chocolate ice cream will do the trick. Because it won't. It objectively won't do the job. Insulin controls diabetes. That's an objective truth. Now, objective truths are true no matter what anybody thinks or feels. Let me give you some examples. Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president of the United States of America. Is that true or false? Okay, it's true. It's objectively true, even if you disagree. Even if you think it was George Washington, even if you're passionate and you think, I know George Washington was the 16th president of the United States, you would be objectively wrong. Two plus two equals four. It's not up to your opinion. Even if you're passionate and you think, no, two plus two equals five or six or seven or any other number other than four, it's not up to your opinion. If you don't think that two plus two equals four, you are objectively wrong. So objective truth is something that is true apart from human opinion. Subjective truth is something that is true according to your opinion. I care about objective truth. And that's what, when we have that banner out there that says truth, that's what we mean. We care about the objective truth of reality. You know, not long ago, I had a, a college student. I, I like to go to the UNK campus and build relationships with the students there and uh, with believing and non-believing students and, and professors. And, and uh, I had a student, a non-believing, atheistic student, uh, uh, he, he said to me, I was talking to him about truth, and he goes, Tim, there is no such thing as truth. And I started getting into objective truth. Tim, there is no such thing as objective truth. How do you think I answered him? I said, is that objectively true? Because his very statement affirms that there is objective truth. He's basically saying, it's objectively true that there is no objective truth. That's called a self-refuting statement, all right? We say that you're shooting yourself in the head if you make a statement like that, or at least shooting yourself in the foot, right? Because it's self-refuting. That means it's true even if you deny it. Now, do you guys understand what I mean now by objective? The difference between objective truth and subjective truth. I really wanted to make this clear. All right, let me switch gears. Now that we understand objective truth, I want you to consider with me the objective meaninglessness of life if God does not exist, okay? I want, it's important for us to go through this exercise when we consider New Year's resolutions and consider eternity. I want you to think about the objective meaninglessness of life if atheism's true. Now, uh, Melissa Kane Travis wrote an article called The Catch-22 of Atheism. 
Um, and her point is that the catch-22 for atheism is that if atheism happens to be true, it doesn't ultimately or objectively matter that it is true. And uh, I actually talked to her and got her permission to, to share this with you, and I'd like to summarize it and add to it a little bit. Um, the most important question, she says, that anyone or everyone needs to ask and answer is this. Does God exist? If you say yes to that question, it changes everything. If you say no to that question, it changes everything. This is the most important question to ask and to answer. If God does exist, then it's at least possible that our lives here on this planet do have objective meaning, value, and purpose. That we're here for a reason. That God created us on purpose and for a purpose. So you're not just some cosmic accident. Okay? If God doesn't exist, that's all you are. You're stardust in the wind. A cosmic accident. But if God exists, then he created you on purpose and for a purpose. So life becomes meaningful, objectively speaking. Moreover, if God does exist... It is possible that our actions and thoughts can be grounded in objective morality. Not just our actions, but the way we think can really be, objectively speaking, right, wrong, good, bad, even evil. So the way you think matters, objectively speaking, if God exists. If he doesn't, think whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Who cares? We all all have the same end. We all have the same end in the grave. If God doesn't exist and your life's meaningless, do whatever you want. Who cares if you want to be uh, Mother Teresa or Ted Bundy? You all share the same fate. Life is meaningless if God doesn't exist. But if God does exist, then then these things matter. They objectively matter. I think we need to think about these things as we consider New Year's resolutions. You know, if God does not exist, we all share the same fate. And scientists tell us. We actually had a physicist here this morning. We talked about this. Scientists tell us that, hey, if God doesn't exist and the universe is just left to the laws of nature, it's going to eventually die. It's going to eventually die out. As, it expand, as the universe expands, eventually there will be no heat. There, there will be no light. There will be no life. Not just on this planet or in the galaxy, but anywhere in the universe. There will be no escape. And so if God doesn't exist, we all share the same fate, and you can't even leave a legacy. There's nobody that's going to be around to even remember what you did. So who cares what you do if God doesn't exist? Who cares if you want to be Ted Bundy? It just doesn't matter, objectively speaking. If atheism is true, no one will remember your name. So who cares? Life is meaningless. You see, our lives are objectively meaningless if atheism is true. And I think the great band of musically inclined philosophers known as Kansas back in the 1970s, uh, they realized this. And they wrote a song called Dust in the Wind. Anybody ever heard that before? It's actually, I had the little 45 record when I was a little kid. And uh, I had this little orange fold-out record player, and I put it on there. I'm I'm old enough to have records when I was a kid. And, uh, And I'd listen to dust in the wind on this, on this little record over and over. I love the song. I just thought it was so pretty. And my parents were so cool. My parents are here today. And, and they, they would tell me, hey, you know, Tim, uh, I mean, they love this kind of music too, and, but they would tell me, hey, Tim, uh, 
since you know Jesus, your life is so much more than dust in the wind. And, uh, and, um, and, and you really, I mean, they didn't use these words for the little kid, but, but they said, they taught me that life did have real objective meaning, value, and purpose because we were created on purpose and for a purpose by God to know Jesus. And it was awesome. Uh, but, but if you listen to that song that Kansas wrote, I mean, they realized uh, that all we are is dust in the wind. Uh, meaningless if God doesn't exist. Objectively meaningless, valueless, and purposeless. Our, our, our lives are utterly insignificant. If atheism is true, I mean, many atheists have realized this, starting with Nietzsche. Well, probably before Nietzsche, but he, he realized this. Uh, Dr. Will Probine of Cornell University has re- recently said this. Let me read it to you. He's, as an atheist, he's speaking. There are no gods, no purposes, and no goal-directed forces of any kind. There is no life after death. When I die, I am absolutely certain that I am going to be dead That's the end of me. There is no ultimate foundation for ethics, no ultimate meaning in life, and no free will. And if there's no free will, then morality goes out the window because you can't make any choices, including moral choices. In fact, uh, the philosopher L.D. Rue believed that we needed, as an atheist, he said, we need to at least realize that atheism is true and then convince ourselves, try to believe a noble lie to help us get through this meaningless life. <coughs> Dr. Rosenberg, the atheistic philosopher from Duke University, says, yeah, life is meaningless, this is depressing, take drugs. But this raises even other questions. Why do we need to believe a noble lie or to take drugs to get through this life? Because after all, in atheism, ultimately speaking, no one gets through this life. Why prolong the inevitable? There's no logical or objective grounds for doing so on atheism. Now, this is depressing, isn't it? Atheism is depressing. But if you're a Christian here, you don't need to get depressed. Now, I... I've had some of my atheist friends tell me they're going to be here today or at least listen to this sermon online. And so I think I just want to encourage everybody to think about these things. Now, Christians, if God exists, and he does, I've given entire sermons why we should believe that God does exist and that Christianity is true. If you want more of that, come talk to me later or come to my Sunday school class at 9.15 in the mornings on Sundays. But... If God does exist as the creator of the universe and as the creator of mankind, then it's at least possible that humanity does have an objective meaning, value, and purpose to life. You were created on purpose and for a purpose. We would be his creatures that he created for an objective purpose that would be true no matter what any human thought or believed to the contrary. Now, I believe, as I said earlier, that our objective purpose in life is to know, love, and enjoy a relationship with our Creator. And if that's true, if God does exist, and Christianity is true, then that becomes of the ultimate significance. It's of the most ultimate importance. If atheism is true, on the other hand, man's beliefs 
actions. These do not ultimately or objectively matter in any way, shape, or form. This is true even if one thinks, well, we ought to at least help humanity flourish. Well, why? Because given atheism, this is even absurd because we know that mankind faces inevitable extinction. Like I said earlier, I mean, we're all going to die one way or the other, and eventually there's not even a legacy to live because the universe is going to be wiped out. Unless God exists. We know how that ends if you read your Bible. But as Melissa Kane Travis says, if atheism is true, why exert the effort to do anything, even to help humanity flourish for a few more moments? We're going to lose in the end anyway. All we are is dust in the wind. If this very same cosmos that unintentionally coughed us into existence will inevitably swallow us back up again. It will be as if we never existed in the first place. So who cares about anything if atheism's true? You know what? I'm passionate about this, guys, because I go down to that college campus and it is infected with atheism. Don't think that it's not there. And it is coming after your kids and your grandkids. This is the lie that the world is believing today. And atheists will be glad to show the statistics that show how fast it's growing in America right now. It's already taken over Europe. It's doing that. It's, we basically lost in Canada too. Are we going to take a stand for truth here? Are we going to pretend atheism's not there? People say, Tim, this is all you talk about. It's because it's there. This is what the kids that I work with every day are face-to-face with. And we've got to take it seriously. But here's the truth about atheism. If it's true, you're nothing but dust in the wind, as Kansas said. You know, they also wrote another song called Carry On My Wayward Son. Anybody heard that one? Love that song. And, you know, you could really tell that these guys in that band in the 70s were really wrestling with these, these topics. They wrote Dust in the Wind, and then they wrote Carry On My Wayward Son. And one of the lines here is, Now your life's no longer empty. Surely heaven waits for you. You see, they realize that if there is eternity, and if heaven is waiting for you, then your life right now matters. Your life's no longer empty. You're not dust in the wind if heaven's waiting for you for eternity. I don't know if you know this, but the guys in uh, Kansas uh, became Christians. Oh, they're Christians now. Here's the catch-22 for atheism. If atheism is true, then everything is meaningless. And that would include the fact that atheism is true. (laughs) So if atheism is true, it just is objectively meaningless that it's true. It just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you believe. We all share the same fate. If atheism happens to be true, it doesn't matter that it's true, or even if we come to realize that it's true because we all reach the same annihilation along with the universe itself, so why bother doing anything at all if atheism is true? Because we all lose in the end. Why bother making meaningless New Year's resolutions if that's the case? What does it matter in the long run, objectively speaking, that, even we, that we make even a few more medical or scientific advances? It just doesn't matter. Just to prolong life for a few more brief moments. I mean, going back to the Dust in the Wind song. This is what another line in that song. They say, all we do crumbles to the ground, though we refuse to see. So who cares what medical and scientific advances you make? 
It's going to crumble to the ground. It's dust in the wind. If there is no eternity, what is the significance between seconds, years, or decades? It's meaningless. Don't be so depressed because atheism is not true. Can I get an amen? You can say amen in this church every once in a while. I'm just telling you that. You can even clap because God does exist. Jesus is God and he loves you. Your life has meaning. It has significance and we need to realize it and act like it. You need to believe it. It changes everything. Amen is right. If Christianity is true, there's no catch-22 involved. In fact, if, if Christianity is objective, objectively true, then this truth is of infinite significance to all humanity, no matter what they subjectively think. They'd just be objectively wrong. And this sounds like something objectively worth making a New Year's resolution on. Not just a New Year's resolution, but an eternal resolution Therefore, as Christians, you see, we are fully justified in promoting our worldview. That is to say, justified in sharing our faith, sharing the gospel. We should do that, and we should commit to doing it. Because if the gospel is true, it objectively matters that it's true. So how about making a New Year's resolution to make Jesus Christ known to as many people as possible. Why? Because it objectively matters. Consider what Jesus said himself in Matthew 4:19. Jesus said this, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That sounds like something worth making a new year's resolution on. That sounds like something making an eternal resolution on. If you follow Jesus and love God with every aspect of your existence, you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you will love your neighbor. You will love your enemy. You will be committed to making medical and scientific advances to help humanity. Why? Because humans are created in the image of God, even those that disagree with you, even atheists, even your enemies. We Humanity is created in the image of God, and it is the right thing to do to help humanity out now. And when you have a proper eternal perspective, you realize how important now is. Here's the bottom line. If Christianity is objectively true, and it is, then it's of eternal importance. Consider these things this new year, and consider eternity. Let's make this world a better place now as we live for eternity, as we live for Christ. Dear Jesus, I just want to thank you for dying on the cross, for entering into this creation, to entering into your creation for one purpose— to testify to the truth so that we could know truth, so that we could align our lives with truth and reality, that we could know you, God. God, I pray that we would make eternal resolutions starting now to live for nothing but your glory and to follow you as you transform us to make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.